I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing to leave a faith tradition. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, mm-hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your guest host, Britt Bowlerjack, and for the next few months, we're going to be interviewing millennial pastors who have transitioned out of the Church of the Nazarene. It is my hope and prayer that these stories will be um, the catalyst for beautiful conversations to come about who we are and where we're going and how we can better embody who God is calling us to be. You're not alone. You know, there are so, so, so many of us who are asking questions and trying to figure out what a wholehearted life uh, means. One of my first things is like, if you can stay, you should stay. But I would say if you're going to stay, you have to do the work. That's really all that matters at the end of the day, because it's all about faithful ministry. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Matt and Ryan Bloyd Wiseman. Ryan is currently the director of youth and family ministry over at St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church in Mission, Kansas. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, thanks for having us. Good to be here. So I kind of want to start with Ryan. Um, tell me, kind of start at the beginning of the story. And I want to ask you, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of an unconventional story, I think. Um my family would be considered unchurched. They have some sort of nominal Christian faith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty much everybody in Appalachia does. Yeah, so I guess we should start with, I grew up in Appalachia um, Mm -hmm. specifically. And so there's like a nominal Christian faith that everyone sort of has. Um, But by all uh, other standards, they would be considered unchurched. Um, And so I started going to church with a friend when I was about 10 years old and it was just the Nazarene church and they had a church bus and they would pick us all up. And it was just kind of like a fun place to go and people Mm. knew how I was. And that was a good feeling. I'm from a very large family. So just being kind of acknowledged was really nice. and so that that was consistent um and then i think what really cemented my faith and just my devotion probably my call to ministry um now looking back word on my life um when i was 11 my family was in a really bad car accident mm. and my dad and my sister were um severely uh wound 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 is not the right word wounded they were injured injured that's the word it's similar to wounded but not wounded um they were both severely injured and since we lived in very rural america um the closest hospital that could take them was two and a half hours away wow my mom had to stay with them and and i um stayed to go to school um but when they got back four months later. Um, my mom hadn't been working. Yeah. My mom hadn't been working for four months. My dad couldn't work, um, for at least three more months, I think was, Mm. he probably wasn't supposed to work for like at least another year, but three more months. And then, um, my sister was still 
dealing with like injuries and the neck brace and all kinds of crazy things. So my mom ended up having to work two jobs and making ends meet was just not happening and Mm. things were just not going far enough. And one day it all just kind of came to a head and I got off the school bus and she was sitting outside on our front porch and I was walking up the driveway and I could tell she was upset and I just sat down next to her and I was like, what's wrong? She's like, well, I can buy groceries or I can put gas in the car, but I can't do both. Mm. And I just remember how defeated we both felt because we were both working so hard to try to make it all work. And um, I don't remember if it was the next day or like maybe even later that day, um, a woman from church who taught my Sunday school class showed up. She was a social worker. And um, we hadn't told anybody how rough the situation was, but Mm. I think she just sort of read the room, so to speak, Mm. and showed up with tons of food, just groceries in her car. Um, So she pulled into the driveway and my mom sent me out to greet her because A, it's not that weird to have people pull into your driveway in the middle of nowhere, Appalachia, and B, (laughs) she knew who she was. So I went out there and she was like, come on, Ryan, help me carry all this food into the house. So like, I'm putting like tons of food into the pantry and Mm. this woman's talking to my mom. And I think she gave her resources for my sister, some like um, occupational therapy and those types of things would be provided by the state and um, some resources for my dad to cover his healthcare costs because he is self-employed. So he didn't have healthcare at the time of the incident and Mm. there were tons of medical bills and all these other things. And, um, I think she had taken up a collection or something because all of a sudden we had money that we didn't have before. And I had never experienced love like that. Like a love that wasn't brought on by any sort of like familial relation Mm. or obligation or um, anything other than just seeing a need and meeting it. And Mm. Like that, yeah, that was, that was my entry point. Mm. Um, unlike most churches in that area, I have now come to realize I was very, very lucky with the, the pastor that we have. The only reason I know this is because of Matt telling me that I'm really, really lucky because I thought this was normal. Um, they were all, um, very well trained. The one I had for a lot, for most of my youth, cause I started when I was 10. So by the time I graduated high school, he was still there um, had a master's degree in preaching, I think from Tribeca and mm. was an like, they were very well educated, um, very kind, very helpful people. Um, still a little legalistic, still a little unsure about women in ministry. Mm. Um, and me being the somewhat, uh, questioning of authority type of woman I am that not necessarily always go over well, Um, but I learned a lot. Um, we followed the liturgical year. I knew what Advent was like all these things. And this was, you know, early 2000s, mid 2000s before I went off to college. And Mm -hmm. I went to Trevecca because I was discerning a call to ministry, specifically, um, pastoral ministry as Mm -hmm. a pastor the only girl in my cohort <laughs> so oh wait wait back up I want to know more about the the call part like was there a, a chain of events that happened there or like something specific that moved moved you in that direction um again I think like looking 
back, I can see all of the small events that led up to it. So like the not so small event of bringing food to my house, right? Mm -hmm. um, sort of cemented me as a Christian, as part mm -hmm. of a church community. I knew that that was something that was unique and different. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had a youth pastor and his wife who invested in me and I was in, in leadership at the church and um, just like all these little things. And, you know, the church literally saved my life. <laughs> so like serving the church made sense. And it was mm. something that I had like always kind of had in the back of my mind, I guess. Mm. Um, and so around my senior year of high school, um, my youth pastor asked if I felt called to preach. And I was like, uh, I don't know why you're asking me that. Cause I haven't told anybody that. So obviously I went with the very definite answer of, I'm not sure. And, <laughs> and um, it kind of went from there. I ended up at a yes conference, uh, mm -hmm. summer my senior year and my freshman semester at college. Um, and that was a really powerful time. I made lots of connections, felt really affirmed mm. in my call and the thing is like it was a really terrifying thing to think about because I had no idea women were in ministry no clue never seen a woman in a ministerial role outside of like a Sunday school teacher mm. in my entire life um it was just not a thing um yeah. it's still not really a thing back there to be completely honest um so you know I'm like uh, I'm the only person who's doing this here I don't this doesn't make sense um but then I get to Trevecca and I feel so affirmed by mm -hmm. all of my professors mm -hmm. um shout out shout out to my preaching prof for instilling in me a love of homiletics mm -hmm. uh he he was my greatest advocate and encourager all throughout college um mm -hmm still is to this day it's really uh, my greatest uh thanks to him for the all of the compassion and just mm -hmm. grace he extended to me through all through those four years um and yeah. then yeah I graduated from Trevecca I was gonna end up going to Candler but ended up taking a year off to really just sort of rest I worked a lot of jobs in college worked four at a time by the, my senior year so mm. I was working about 40 hours a week and going to classes full-time to mm. um, pay for school because from rural Appalachia so it's not like my parents had money to make up the difference and yeah. um we I made it work but I was tired and needed to take some time to care for myself and yeah. during that time um my pastor at the time had moved out here. I should probably talk about, shouldn't I? It was formative. I sort, of, want to. I sort of skipped over that part in college. So um, while in college, <laughs> let's reverse a little bit. Um, <laughs> while in college, I went to Church of the Nazarene, which was pastored by someone I think is probably one of the best pastors I've ever met. It's just who she is as a person. She yeah. personifies what it means to be a pastor and a human being mm -hmm. um, and if she were to hear me say that she would just shake her head and laugh and tell me <laughs> I was wrong um and say oh Ryan you should be a comedian but um 
yeah, so I learned a lot from her, a lot of, um, a lot about hospitality specifically. There were a lot of people who were all very different, but she united us in a way and made space for all of us in a way to question faith, to um, explore. And um, what I loved most about it was she would pull, um, our worship services were very structured and they served Eucharist every week. Mm. And she used the Book of Common Prayer a lot for colics and lots of other types of things. And that kind of got me into the Book of Common Prayer, which mm-hmm. is eventually how we ended up in the Episcopal Church. Um, but I think the most important thing she did is she made space yeah. and held it for people really well. Mm. So I would say most of my experiences in the church of the Nazarene were positive minus a few not so well-meaning people telling me women can't be pastors. Mm. Um, so then how kid. did you end up going to seminary? Kind of tell me that journey. Yeah. So, um, after the year off, I still felt called to ministry. I wasn't sure what my next steps would be. So like any good millennial, I was like, let's go to school. Mm. Um, I applied to schools again, but you don't get nearly as much money the second time around as you do the first time around. Sure. Um, so to be completely honest, I followed the money and knew that I was out here. So there was a little bit of a support system Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, NTS gave me the best scholarship and it was the Nazarene seminary. So it just kind of made sense for career trajectory Mm. in the long term. And I shall pass it over to my better half, who is much better at storytelling than I am because he does not have ADHD. So (laughs) take it away. Yeah, yeah, that would be great, actually. So, Matt, I would love to hear kind of your story, how you um, ended up in the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah, so I was born into it. My dad's a Nazarene pastor. Um, from the time I came home from the hospital in the crib, I lived right above a church of the Nazarene wow. in an apartment above my dad's church that was in the basement. So <laughs> literally born into it <laughs> um, and Ben, he, he's been a pastor in the church of the Nazarene my entire life, except for a couple of years mm. where he was in between churches and I'm 28 going on 29 he's only served two nazarene churches that entire time wow which is very very unusual for a pastor to be that tenured so most of my adult life my childhood and my adult life until i left for college i spent in one nazarene church growing up which was a huge blessing as a pastor's kid a lot of people move around all the time yeah i never had to change schools I never had that that drama or that baggage. I was really, really blessed in that regard. Mm. Um, so similar to Ryan, grew up in Appalachia mm-hmm. and loved my childhood. My dad is bivocational. So <laughs> he is a pastor and a used car salesman. Go figure. Nice. All right. <laughs> Yeah, he's not anymore he's not anymore so he retired he retired he finally sold the business i mean he's like 
he's in his 70s now so he's getting he's getting up there and he's mm. getting tired so um i'm really happy for him and congratulations to him for that for his semi-retirement i love he's that the church anytime soon so um my whole i mean looking back i say i was born into christianity mm. but before i went to college i said i became a christian at the age of six whenever i prayed and accepted jesus into my heart and asked to be saved from hell you know i, I got my you know quote unquote fire insurance yeah <laughs> um very young age and i was discipled by a lot of people in our church throughout the years grew up and my parents did a really really good job of shielding me from a lot of the um, a lot of what pastor's kids can't experience of the, mm. the negativity that can come along with being a pastor's kid church politics drama um and anything that went on to, to hurt dad hurt mom they shielded me from that until mm. i was very very old you know like until i was a teenager kind of read between the lines yes until you had a white beard until i had a white like, beard like until i was very very old <laughs> wise and mature no but um my church didn't really follow all the rules though so <laughs> my, my mom it was a really really small church in, in virginia and uh, my mom was on the board which is, is a no-no and as soon as i turned 15 i was elected to the board <laughs> which is also which is like a huge no-no so it's just really it's funny but um and I, I didn't know this at the, at the time. I didn't know this until I was telling people in college and they're like, wait a minute, all three of you were on the board? <laughs> I guess that's, that's not a thing. Like, this should mm. never happen. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And they're like, yeah, that's, that, that's not a thing. That should never be. <laughs> but what's really funny is that like, that was, the, that was the norm. And the entire board was basically families. Like there was mm. wives on the board elected every year. It's just, it's really funny looking back now. <laughs> Oh my God, it's so funny. Um, <laughs> so I served as the NY president in, from, uh, from 15 to 18. Nice. And that was probably the most formative time mm. I spent in, in the church because that was where I started to develop my sense of call mm. in ministry. Uh, Do you have kind of like some mile markers on that journey? not not really until it was kind of it was kind of like at at 12 somebody asked me like we had um the the kind of old school evangelist like week-long mm. um you know revivals and an yeah. evangelist asked me are you called to ministry and i'm like i don't know i'm 12 <laughs> <laughs> I, I i want to be a doctor whenever i grow up i was 12 i mean yeah i was 12 this this like this, this old preacher's asked me if i'm gonna be a pastor i grew up i'm like i don't know what i'm gonna be like a doctor like that's what i wanted to be so i'm I like really i like don't Lego know skills, so i'm not really <laughs> like, sure like, like video <laughs> games you know like what's up 
Um, so, but whenever I was uh, kind of elected to that position, our church had monthly NYI meetings mm. for the night service. So you saw night service. Um, and it, it was a full church service. Like it, it was, it was expected for that to happen. Like you had to lead worship. There had to be singing. There had to be prayers. You know, there had to be, there had to be like a lesson. It wasn't expected to be a sermon, but there had to be a lesson. And as the NY president, you had to come up with all that. Oh, yeah. And so if I was elected, I was like, well, what, what, what am I going to do? So uh, kind of going into that kind of, I think, started to build that because I, I actually did want to be a doctor going into high school. And then whenever I started doing that, I started feeling, well, maybe this isn't exactly what I'm called to do. Maybe there's something else mm-hmm. and didn't really know what that was. And uh, I told my mom and dad, and they, they never in their life mentioned to me, you should be a pastor. We think you should be a pastor. If anything, my, my dad was like, don't be a pastor. If there's anything you can do, except be a pastor do that <laughs> um because he he knew the life that that was and uh, but anyway so i i told them what i was experiencing and they said well you know pray and fast about it uh, a very a very uh spiritual answer yeah <laughs> so, so that's what i did i i prayed and fasted and literally two days later a nazarene pastor from our hometown called me and out of the blue told me he was going to be having surgery out of his church for six weeks and asked if I would fill in his pulpit and preach for six weeks. Wow. And I was like, what? Like, why are you calling me a 15 year old and asking if I'm going to preach in your church for six (laughs) weeks? (laughs) I was like, let me pray about it. (laughs) It's like, you know, what else am I going to say? Like, I was terrified. So I... I did and I was like you know what if I'm gonna find out if this is God told me I'm, I'm supposed to be a pastor this is as good a time as any so I called him back and said yes wow I had no idea what in the world I was doing and I know I did a terrible job <laughs> those first couple times oh my gosh I feel so bad for those people oh but the second week I was uh I was sitting down at my desk and I was alone except for my cat, Mr. Duchess. Mm. But uh, that's a story in of itself. And uh, I was looking over my notes for the for the sermon that night. And I just felt like God said to me, this is what I want you to do for the rest of your life. Mm. And it, it was it was a really holy moment for me because it was literally that moment from then on, I had no desire to be a doctor at all. Wow. All I wanted to do was be a pastor. It mm. was like my aspirations completely changed just in an instant. And I was like, okay. So from that moment on, that's what I, that's what I did. And that's what I wanted to pursue. So I've always been a planner, <laughs> but by, by, by the time this happened, I was already planning. Like I already knew what medical school I wanted to go to. I knew what yeah, you, you, you want to see Ryan's face. I, I already knew I wanted to go to Aldous and Broadus for their pre-med. I already knew what, what medical program I wanted to go into I'm after. I'm sorry, you're a planner? Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> awesome. 
So I started. He's looking, telling this story, Ryan. I know, right? <laughs> so I, I started looking into schools because I'm like, well, I want to get an education if I'm going to do this. Yeah. And uh, one of Dad's colleagues recommended Mount Vernon to me, mm. and so I ended up going to Mount Vernon after spending two years in community college because I figured I'd follow my dad's footsteps, be bivocational, and um, that way, if I ever needed to. I would have something to fall back on mm. to provide for myself or a family. And so I got a business degree at community college for two years, transferred to Mount Vernon. Um, while I was in Mount Vernon, I kind of had a real crisis of faith. Like I, that was probably the closest I've ever been to leaving Christianity altogether mm. because uh, learning the, the the church I grew up in, my, my dad is not a college or seminary educated pastor. He's done the best he's could with the education he's got. Um, so I've grown up with a very fundamentalist understanding of, of the faith. And then going through college, I had really deconstructed a lot of that. And that was a huge crisis for me kind of mm. going through that and then wondering what is the point of all this do I even believe any of this do mm. I want to wondering if I wanted to reconstruct it so I spent a summer um, interning ended up finding out I wanted to reconstruct it spent the second year at Mount Vernon doing that and uh, then decided to go to NTS to keep doing that because I was Nazarene and as far as I knew, Nazarenes go to NTS to get their education. That's right. <laughs> yep. So there we are. Okay. So you're both at NTS. Um, are you interning or pastoring while you're in school, while you're at seminary? Uh, yes. I had a different internship or pastor position every year I was in seminary. Oh. <laughs> Um, not by my own choice. I ended up interning or pastoring under people who would then resign and therefore I would move on. Yeah. Um, I only did one. So mine's a lot shorter than Ryan's. So like I, I interned briefly at Church of the Nazarene Mm -hmm. and headed up one of their preaching points as a chaplain to one of the senior living facilities. Nice. and I loved that. It was really great. Yeah. And um, I was preaching there like every single week, mm. holding services there, having other seminarians and other guests come in and preach as well, and leading Bible studies on mm-hmm. Wednesdays. And did that for about a semester until it just got to be, I think, until. Maybe he, yeah, it, it was, it was until he, he, he resigned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was gonna, then I went ahead and resigned. Yeah. So that's all I did. Yeah. So, um, let me ask you, and this may be different for each of you. Um, when was the first time that you, that you first thought, oh, you might not end up staying in the church of the Nazarene? I remember having conversations with um, a mentor of mine in college, thinking that I wasn't a good fit for what the Nazarene church wanted. Mm, what made you feel that way? Um, 
It was just an intuitive feeling. I mean, I was always, you know, when I say I was the only female in my cohort, I mean, in like the pastoral ministry minor uh, at Trevecca, which is very different than the religion overall major. Um, I just was very different from my peers for the mm. most part. Of course, there are some that who are in a who are a year behind me or a year above me that I'm very close to. We always had at least one of us, you know, but um, it just seemed like every time I would go to a district event or to um, credential board meetings, I would be met with just sort of confusion. They didn't necessarily know how to, I don't want to use handle. Is handle the right word? Maybe. Yeah. Handle um, a more Doesn't assertive personality, yeah. I guess, in mm -hmm. a female mm -hmm. um, leader. And um, I just remember thinking, I don't, I remember asking him, you know, there, there's some things in the articles of faith that I don't necessarily agree with. Like, mm -hmm. are those breaking points? And he's like, as of now, they aren't. And I'm like, okay, mm. well, if who I am a, as a person, a good fit, like I can see myself working at a place like, but how many are there in the world? Right. Yeah. And, you know, so it would just, this recognition that I still felt this vocational call. I still felt like I had the gifts and graces to work in the church and to faithfully serve the church but not necessarily sure if the Church of the Nazarene would be where that would happen. Um, mm -hmm. And his advice at the time was to give it time, that discernment takes time and to not rush into anything. Sure. Um, this person is now also Episcopalian, funnily enough. Um, so, nice. Um, but you know, he, he was an ordained Nazarene elder at the mm -hmm. time. And um, yeah, we were really close. And I, I just would have very frank conversations with him. That's kind of my specialty, very frank conversations. So um, I love that. He uh, was just like, discern, give it time. Yeah. Get a master's degree. No matter mm -hmm. where you go, you're going to need a master's degree. Yeah. So you might as well start down that road. Um, very helpful, practical advice. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that was, I think I questioned it all through college, um, mm. as people who grew up in different situations, probably situations closer to Matt would always question whether or not I should be in those classes or mm. didn't want, uh, to be in a group with me because what I said was just, uh, not as valid as what my mm. male colleagues would say and none of my professors put up with that whatsoever like I want to make this clear that is not the culture of like religious education at Trevecca yeah. at all if anything it's the opposite you have mm. people coming in saying women are better preachers than men and mm. all of these things um and just as I met more people who had been in different Nazarene churches I realized just how different my experience was I think on some level Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's enough about me when was your first yeah Matt I would love to hear when when the first time was that you thought you might not end up staying in the in the church of Nazarene yeah I think for me it was sometime in seminary whenever I started hearing from my friends that they were getting asked 
direct questions about their stance on human sexuality and mm. their on gay marriage. Um, and I, I really started to, to wonder if, if I would, like what, what that meant for me. Because yeah. um, up until that point, you know, the, the only thing that I really, <laughs> that, that I thought might hinder me was entire sanctification. Mm. <laughs> because that was, that was the biggest thing that they talked to us about in undergrad. They stressed that so much, funnily enough. Um, and I, maybe that was because boards in Ohio was, were really concerned about it. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, what, what were you nervous about entire thing? Like, like you didn't necessarily believe in entire sanctification or. No, it, it was, was it was, it was much more about, um, the, like, I guess a, a lot of my, my peers and I didn't quite believe in the notion of of this exact moment where you're entirely sanctified and then you're just set for life you never mm. see you know, this, this this life of of um of perfection in in that regard sure um whereas i think we believe that entire sanctification is more progressive in that you're you can be entirely sanctified moment by moment and it was more of a progressive thing mm. and our professors were trying to help us figure out how to articulate that to boards and be faithful to the language that they were familiar with traditionally and sure. not lie but be like okay, try to phrase it to them in a way that they understand so that they know what you're talking about, but don't just lie to them and say, yes, be, yeah. be faithful to your experience. Yeah. yeah. I think that was what they were trying to get at. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, so tell me about the, the journey through, um, from there, from both of you, like entering seminary, um, to like where you ended up now. I, I want, what I want to say is like, tell me the story of your decision or decisions to leave. Um, but you, I don't know. I don't know if you feel like it was a decision or how, how it all happened. So I would love to hear the kind of like step-by-step -step of, of the story. I think we think about that differently, actually, because I feel like oh. I made it, like, I feel like I had kind of decided and Matt sort of feels like we knew what was coming, but hadn't, we were waiting to hear officially. Yeah. Well, tell me about that then. Let, let's start with Ryan. Um, tell yeah. me your side and then we'll, then well, we'll let Matt. I think I, well, uh, the transition to Kansas City was hard. Seminary was a difficult place to be. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed year after year, my some of my classmates were a little bit more antagonistic toward me as a woman, um, mm -hmm. as an assertive woman, not aggressive in parentheses um yeah. and I was attacked quite frequently in classes without any sort of intervention from professors but mm. um if those same students felt attacked I was reprimanded mm. um and it just it was not a great environment for me as a woman um mm. um and it just didn't feel like we had much support from the faculty 
in that. Um, of course, there are exceptions to that, and I won't go any further into that. But, um, you know, seminary was hard. The churches I was working at, I just kept being shuffled around trying to find a place. And, you know, I had, I was almost a third of the way done with hours for um, ordination. And then they got reset because an interim position ended and I couldn't, nobody would put me on staff um, so that I could mm. keep them. So it just, it felt redundant and unnecessary and cruel to me. Mm. Um, and like my presence wasn't valued. Mm. Um, so that already kind of had the ball in motion for me. I was like, I can't live in a system like this yeah. where clearly my contributions aren't wanted or even cared about. My well-being isn't wanted or cared about. Mm. Um, I can't be myself. I have to constantly try to make myself smaller to make the people around me more comfortable. Mm. And I can never make them comfortable enough. Like no matter how much I shrink, they're never comfortable. Mm. Um, and I just kind of decided I wasn't willing to do that anymore. Um, and then of course there is the doctrinal stuff on, um, same sex relationships and marriage and, um, a few other things, but that was my main one that was really difficult for me. Um, in that I had gay friends and had people who were very close to me who mm. were attracted to the same sex, who were living in loving relationships with a partner, who were trans, who, you know, and seeing them and saying I loved them, but working in a system was not something I could reconcile. And I couldn't mm. reconcile it with the education I received in the Wesleyan tradition. I would say my education was just more Wesleyan in general. Even my education in Nazarene churches just leaned more Wesleyan uh, rather than fundamentalist. I couldn't reconcile it. And I couldn't reconcile the way I was taught to read scripture um because if we read scripture the way we read from my perspective if we read the passages about homosexuality the same way we read the passages about women speaking in church i could i couldn't reconcile the differences there mm -hmm. and i remember being a sophomore at like a forum on sexuality asking that question and saying wait we read it this way on this topic but we say it doesn't apply on this topic that doesn't makes sense. That's not coherent to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that kind of perspective, once that became the, I don't know, litmus test, I guess, for if you could stay, I wanted to choose the people I loved mm -hmm. and who loved me. And mm -hmm. um, because I think love and personhood <laughs> and treating people with dignity is the foundation of the gospel yeah. and I couldn't I couldn't um I couldn't keep going in that vein so I think we had already started looking into like where would we go what would we do um and I love the book of common prayer Matt loves really high liturgy so the Episcopal Church just sort of felt like a natural soft landing for us. Mm -hmm. So we started taking every other week and going 
to an Episcopal church. Um, and we, I fell in love with it. Um, mm-hmm. Matt had to have a job where he was able to come for a long time. So I think he fell in love with it too. Um, yeah. But we just, it fit. And we're lucky in that way. Uh, but for me, I felt like I had kind of already made the decision that we were leaving because I had been, I had felt like I needed to leave for a long time by that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Matt kind of had a different perspective on this. Yeah, situation. Matt, tell, tell me about when you kind of your story of the, the decision to leave. So my last, I, I think it was my last semester at NTS, I took a class with and maybe it was the fall semester was it the fall semester oh yeah it was the fall semester yeah so it was was pretty close to the end and the entire semester he kept drilling into us the importance of the pastor living a life of integrity and honesty Mm. and I really agreed with that and that really resonated with me but at the same time that really convicted me because I knew that by that point in my seminary career, I, I didn't really agree with the church's doctrines on some key points. Mm-hmm. And do you mind me digging around in that? What, what yeah. those key points were for you? Yeah, that's, that's totally fine. Um, and I'll, I'll get into that in just a second. Okay. But what, what was really convicting was kept talking about you know as pastors we have to come under the authority of the church and mm-hmm. he kept in that phrase come under the authority of the church and i'm like man you're you're hitting me in the feels man mm-hmm. how how can i be faithful like how can i reconcile this can it be reconciled and like really since i was at mount vernon uh, kind of similar to Ryan, they didn't they didn't preach it, they didn't teach it, but it led me to the conclusions that same sex relationships aren't wrong, um, that they're not against scripture, and in the further research that I did on my own, I came to that conclusion myself. Um, for some reason. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, so maybe this is just because the whole sanctification thing was just so huge in my church and, and at, at Mount Vernon, the whole perfection. And this is my, my personal story. I struggle with perfectionism. Mm. And so the way that it was taught to me growing up and just as a pastor's kid, the way that I was kind of put on a pedestal in front of the other kids as an, as an example and say, mm follow follow Matt he's doing it right he's called to ministry do this and I just felt like I was in a fishbowl my entire life I just mm. kind of rejected that yeah uh, that that static view of, of perfection because I wasn't perfect I never felt like I could be what? honest about that I know mm. right you I know right? never perfect never perfect Shocker. go figure um so really struggled with with that and even though you know I had the more nuanced view I got from Mount Vernon it just it it still doesn't really sit well with me Mm. um 
and maybe that's just because of the way it's worded in the in the articles of faith i don't know um and then i think what i think what also came to really bother me was just seeing the way that a lot of my peers were being treated that had gone before me into either either were in ministry um, or were being interviewed and were being asked very direct questions about uh, same-sex marriage and alcohol specifically the, those two things and it and it, it didn't make sense to me based on what I had grown up with and what I had learned um, about the church of the, the Nazarene and about Wesleyanism and theology of love it just didn't mesh mm. so given where I was at and what I believed now it just seemed a lot like a lot so I talked to I said you know what you've been saying is really convicting me it's really weighing heavily on me can we just talk about it because I, I really want me to have a conversation with you and so we went out to Nisi's for breakfast a local restaurant here in town <laughs> on Truce and uh, we had a really really good conversation and I just, I, I laid my heart open for him. I told him everything I feel, everything I believed. And we didn't, we didn't agree. We didn't see eye to eye on everything. But he told me, he said, you know, Matt, if I was the DS, of, I wouldn't have a problem ordaining you. Because like the way that I had kind of reconciled coming under the authority of the, the, the church was, my beliefs aren't the, the the church's beliefs, but I don't have to proclaim them. You know, like I, I don't have to spread them. Yeah. And if somebody asks me what my personal beliefs are, I'm not going to lie to them. But if somebody asks what our beliefs are, I'm going to tell them what the church's beliefs are. Yeah. This is who I, this is my tribe. This is who I'm aligned with. And, you know, sharing that with me, he thought that was very appropriate. And that's, that was, that was, coming under the authority of the, the church. Mm. Uh, but he said, he said, though, I do think you need to have a conversation with the current DS. Yeah. We were married at know. this point, yeah, we by were the married. way. So yes. this is going to be a joint conversation with the DS. Yeah. So uh, the DS was, you know, I, I messaged him and Ryan and I got together and set up a meeting with him. We, we met for coffee. And he kind of already knew what was coming. I mean, I'm sure he's had these conversations with people who know. You know, we kind of shot the breeze for a little bit and talked about, talked about how it, we had connections in West Virginia. You shot the breeze, quote unquote. He wanted us to stay because you were from West yes. Virginia. <laughs> I mean, precious. So, one of the things that was hard for us as a couple, like, as a couple for us to stay in, in the church of the Nazarene was everywhere we went churches wanted me but they didn't want Ryan or they wanted me as his associate funnily enough yeah Matt has never wanted 
to be in our relationship ever since we started dating. It was understood that he would be the associate. Um, just yeah. personality wise, gifts wise, it just makes more sense for us as a couple of people um, called to the same vocation. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I've been training my entire life for bivocational ministry. I'm yeah. blessed enough with a spouse who is also a minister. I'm like, well, this is great. This is perfect. Who is not good at anything else. Like this is what he's saying. <laughs> yes, it is the better of the two. No, I'm just, I can't really do anything else. <laughs> I'm not equipped um, in the exactly. same way he is. So, um, so we, we, we kind of, we, we shared that experience and, and, and our, our fear that especially if we ever moved back home to Appalachia, which we or eventually want to do at some point. The South just or the South, back East, yeah. That we would face that because, you know, I had talked to a pastor that I'd interned with about that prospect, and he very honestly said that it, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I knew that, and Ryan knew that he knew that <laughs> he he knew that and he was honest with, with us about it but he was also hopefully optimistic that the lord would provide us something that would work for us as a couple <laughs> mm -hmm. so I, I i should say that so he was like well we that that could be war worked around um which, which like, again makes me a, me as a person a problem to be worked around in a system that doesn't have room for me which mm -hmm. is not a fun place to be or to yeah. exist in a marriage right like it's not healthy it wasn't healthy for our relationship no. um anyway go ahead sorry you're fine uh, he's hopefully optimistic yeah and then we we talked about you know especially ryan's love of of liturgy and the service and and that was kind of like more like you know, you're going to, have to start start a church of the nazarene to really get that into the dna mm -hmm. <laughs> uh and, and, you know, i just thought like, it was part of the dna it's what i yeah. knew so yeah and that, that's uh, yeah and whenever i moved funny. out here i was like where, where what is happening <laughs> in services i'm so confused <laughs> <laughs> i was lucky that i got it every quarter and that's just because they mandated it <laughs> that was a solemn that was a, that's a solemn thing not to be taken lightly so yeah anyway um so and i'm not a church that. planter just so we're clear like that is Me not neither. Mm -mm. that's not my gift nope not my gift at all mm -mm. so then we I, you know he he was like he was still hopefully optimistic you know like we, we can make it work you can do this you could you know you're still part of us and then you know i was like well then we have the the monkey Hold on. kind of thing the ds was hopefully optimistic yes you yes. didn't clarify between the pastor and oh sorry and sorry the yes the, the yes. DS is hopefully optimistic so then i was like well so this is the, 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 the like the last monkey wrench like you know um we we both are affirming of gay marriage mm. and this is how I see myself coming under the church's authority. Like, first off, I'm not going to preach it. I'm not going to teach it. And I'm not going to do weddings at all because I, for me, I'm not going to say yes to a straight couple and no to a gay couple. 
like the, I, I personally just couldn't couldn't do that. So I'm just gonna say, you know, my entire career as a pastor, I'm not gonna marry anybody. And to me, that was me being faithful to my beliefs, but also being faithful to the church. And mm. like, yeah, I, there are people that do that, and that's fine. Um, Ryan had a had a a different approach, I think, and she explained to the DS what it meant for her. It wasn't that much different from you. It It really wasn't. It was really just like, I am free as a human being to think and have differing opinions about the tradition I'm a part of, but that doesn't mean I want to necessarily leave the tradition. Is there a way to rectify this? Um, And I knew deep down there wasn't, not just about the gay marriage issue, but just about where I stood in this system that was really toxic for me in general. Like there was Mm -hmm. no way to rectify that. for me, for women like me in general. Um, and yeah, so yeah. essentially. And then a- after that, the, the conversation, like the, the air changed mm-hmm. in the room. Very um, chilly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the coffee, the coffee shop became very chilly that day. Yeah. So, I mean, it, the, the DS really, I mean, I I think I can really say he, he became kind of sad. He he was sad. I I he was sad. He called us bright people. He would love yeah for us to be ordained, but the only way if I'm if I'm remembering so correctly, he, the only way for that to happen was for us to have a change of heart and come under the authority of the church in that we believed yes. exactly what the articles of faith yeah. said word for word and I was like uh yeah, you know, he, he asked me he said can he said now that that is going to be a problem and I said yeah I, I know it is and he asked he said well can you come under the authority of the, the church on this issue like can you uh, I forget exactly how, how on the on the human sexuality yeah, issue like on the human sexuality issue and he said something like can you um proclaim what what the 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 church believes or something i I don't don't remember exactly no he he asked he asked what would happen if somebody came up to you and you said what do we believe about human sexuality he he got in at first but i i didn't understand what he meant so i asked him to explain and and it became very clear that what what he was getting at was if i was a pastor somebody come up to me and said pastor matt what does the church of nazarene believe about um human sexuality i would give them the church of the nazarenes verbatim belief and then if they were to ask me well what do you personally believe i would give them the church of the nazarenes express belief as my belief and i i i told them like to me that just that that's that's dishonest i i can't do that um and he he respected that he expected that he was like you know unless you guys have a change of heart and you all believe this for yourselves ordination won't be possible on this mm-hmm. district and he did add most districts yeah and most districts <laughs> <laughs> and so, the majority of them actually is not not gonna happen for you yeah which i mean i appreciated his frankness uh, yeah. to be honest um i did too I would rather be told that than be held in a position of limbo mm. because it's not, I want to make this clear. It's not a small thing 
to leave a faith tradition for another one. It is a huge decision because I owe so much, we both do, Mm -hmm. to the Church of the Nazarene. Yeah. It shaped us in ways that we can't comprehend. And it still does. It still does. Mm. Um, And we lost a lot when we left. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, tell me, tell me what finally happened. You walk away from this conversation and, and what happens? Um, we tell our pastor at the time that we will not be attending the Nazarene church. And like, I think we said in a couple of months, because we were on like a preaching rotation or something, um, but every yeah. other week we would continue going to the Episcopal church we were part of. We had conversations with um, our rector, now my boss, um, about what it would look like to become Episcopalian, our um, education, what it would mean to attempt to enter the ordination process for the priesthood, um, all those things. He came from the Southern Baptist tradition, so um, which actually isn't that abnormal. More than 50% of the clergy in the Episcopal Church is from a different tradition, so mm. it's kind of a soft landing place for a lot of people. Um, mm but he he's been very helpful to me in navigating what it means to be from an outside tradition um coming into a new one but it's not easy because you whether it's intentional or not you lose contact with people who you love you lose contact with um people who you thought you were going to have contact with for a long time your you know <laughs> your whole career yeah. um you lose connections and you essentially become a stranger again and that's mm. not an easy thing to do yeah and for me at least the grace i've found in being allowed to think and speak and be myself in a space without having to fight for it Mm. has made that worth it and I hate to say that I love all the people and the relationships I have but I don't have to fight for my space anymore which means I have energy to do ministry that Mm. I didn't have before I have space to do ministry that I didn't have before Mm. because I couldn't fight for my own survival and be a good minister Mm. well that kind of leads me to my last couple of questions um I wanted to ask you both how might we have made a more hospitable space for for your ministry in the church of the Nazarene um I think some systematic changes would have had to happen I don't think it's a local church thing I don't even think it's a district by district thing I think we actually have to tackle some issues that are hardwired into how the church of the Nazarene has evolved over the years um you know um to be a church that started out seeking social justice and to have veered from that significantly is something that needs to be addressed. Um, when we say we support women, there's a difference between supporting women and actually intentionally giving space to women. 
Mm. Um, and it's it's interesting because the Episcopal Church didn't start ordaining women until the 70s. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And I have experienced more women in clergy positions in, the, in just one diocese here mm. than I did my entire time in the Nazarene Church. And um, yeah, and leadership. And, and national leadership. And national leadership. Um, yeah. You know, one of the reasons we chose the Kansas Diocese is um, they have a female bishop and female bishops have been elect- like, I think it's up to like six have been elected in the last year, which wow. is a, not a huge number, but there were already female bishops in charge. Um, and I think when you say you have space for lots of different beliefs, but having a criteria for what your clergy have to think it it's an issue um thinking should be allowed and dissenting opinion should be allowed Mm -hmm. um because faith isn't based on a certain structure of particular beliefs it's based on a person it's based on jesus and having dissenting beliefs about what it looks like to live into that's okay as long as we love each other while we do it and make Mm -hmm. space for each other while we do it um so yeah I think it's a more systemic thing for me at least for my position um just because of my experience with the system as a whole um but what 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 do you think babe no I agree with a lot of that like There, there would definitely need to be more space for you as a woman in ministry for me to, to be able to be there as well because it, it was like there was a tug of war between us. Um, not, and, and, and not really like not, intentionally, mm-hmm. but it, it, was, it was like the, 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 the church almost forced this this at, competition at some point mm. we were choosing ministry or our marriage exactly yeah that was and, what it was going to come down to yeah. was are we going to be in ministry or are we going to stay married and obviously mm. we were going to choose staying married yeah. um but <laughs> i mean maybe not obviously but for us obviously <laughs> yeah yeah um and i i just i i wish that there was more space for not not even just be beyond women in ministry too, clergy couples as well. Uh, for women to be in, in lead roles in that. Because like like Ryan said, I've whenever I was single, I used to have aspirations of being like a lead pastor because I always thought I would have to be and work two jobs like like dad did. But whenever I was, you know dating ryan and then on our third date Uh, i asked a very intentional question exactly um you know that's just what was the question i have to know what the question was oh Um, Oh, gosh what was the question oh it was um so i want to be a lead pastor how do you feel about that (laughs) i don't want to be a lead pastor so it's cool and that was the end of the conversation yeah exactly (laughs) nice i was like all right cool glad we uh Glad we laid the foundation for that. Lock that mm-hmm. down on the third date. <laughs> yep. Oh man, yep, exactly. It's perfect. 
be the forever associate just do all, <laughs> do all the fun stuff and what you call the fun stuff yeah well i call the fun stuff what what ryan hates and i call the fun stuff basically visiting people and administration and wait, some wait, wait. that makes me sound terrible i like visiting people <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I guess that is true yeah that does sound bad i'm sorry i hate i hate people but i want to be a, no I mean, I just love to sit down and talk with people forever. It's just like that's he just likes like doing hospital, hospital visits, visits, which is very different than vis- like general visitations with people. Sure. To be yeah. that is there true. But I guess where I'm from, that's what they call visiting people. You just visit, you visit the sick and the shut-ins. That's what Matt likes. <laughs> Matt likes dealing with like open wounds and older people, and yeah. I would prefer to not. Sure. Be in those situations. I'm super comfortable in the ICU. You know, like dad <laughs> drug me along to all those things. By the time mm. I was like seven or eight. So you know what? I probably spent more time in a hospital and funeral homes than I can count. Mm. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, I really don't mind it. Mm-mm. But anyway, so that will have to change for me. And I I I think that there's the 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 biggest thing would be getting back to you know like i i could totally see the articles of faith being a basis for inclusion and belief and saying you know this is what what we believe this is foundational for us but the code of christian conduct seems a little bit of a far stretch Mm. it's it's not part of the, the faith it's it's the ethics and if it's it's like I'm just kind of rambling at this point, but um, yeah, I don't know. You'll edit a lot of that out, sorry. Yeah. No, I, I think I see what you mean, though, that you would like to see us um, not using non-essentials as litmus tests for our clergy, maybe? Is that a, yes, that assessment? Is a very good assessment? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My brain. No, it's all right. It's really makes sense. Um, so the last question I've been asking everyone is um, what is, if there's a word of wisdom or encouragement that you would like to give to uh, the millennial clergy of us who, who are still in the church of the Nazarene? I would tell people don't compromise who you are, no matter what, because your integrity is is not worth it Um, don't end up resenting yourself for any reason and wherever you can be and be faithful be there and i'm more than happy for you and you should be too Mm. like that's really all that matters at at the end of the day because it's all about faithful ministry for us that's episcopalians for some people that's nazarene for some people that's a baptist and that's fine we don't all have to be in the same place yeah that's beautiful thank you for sharing that i have so much i want to say so i'm trying to condense it down um i am inspired by the call the faithfulness to the call of many millennial clergy to continue fighting for change in the Church of the Nazarene, the systemic change that I was talking about, um, and mentoring the upcoming generation, uh, Gen Z, which is even uh, 
more gray area than millennials are. It, as I work with them, it's a wonderful thing to see. And it's not an easy position to be in, to be in the middle. Um, so all of the grace and love to all of you who are doing that. Um, because I think there are some very beautiful things in the tradition of the Nazarene church. And like Matt said, um, the grace of God stretches beyond the church of the Nazarene. Sure. If you need, if you need or feel called to, to explore and seek softer places to land, while it's hard, there is grace there too. Mm. And ultimately be as faithful as you can be where you are. Well, in as much as it is my place to say, like, I'm sorry, we weren't able to kind of create the space and culture that you needed to, you know, do your incredible faithful ministry among us. Um, But I'm really, really glad that God is continuing to be faithful to you and um, helping you find spaces to, to fulfill your calling and do the work of the kingdom. I think that's wonderful. Thank you, Britt. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been a crazy wild ride over the last three years, but we, mm. I've definitely landed in the position of my dreams. So I can't say yeah. that it's it was a it's a hard transition, and I've landed in the best spot that I could possibly ever hope for. Mm. So um, it's been a wonderful change um sometimes it's hard for me to believe my rector often has to remind me that like you're good at this let's take a breath (laughs) Um, it's okay we disagree about that it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. um so it's it's been a big learning curve and it's been beautiful well thank you so much um for taking the time out of your your evening (laughs) to to be here and to to tell me your story i i really really appreciate it yeah thanks for having us Since we love millennials so much on this podcast, we thought it would be appropriate to promote our fellow millennial authors. Here's one now. Hello, this is Pastor Kobe, author of, and I leave you with this, a book of biblical meditations that ask you to pray, journal, and discuss everything that you learn in the journey in which God has called you to. The link is in the bio. Support this author and our podcast by clicking the link in the description. Thank you. The Millennial Pastor Podcast was created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. 
This season's guest host is Britt Bullerjack. Our editor is Caden Barksdale. And original music was done by Andrew Jones. This podcast is part of the Millennial Pastor Podcasting Network. For more podcasts like it, please visit themillennialpastor.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can join us on the next episode of the Millennial Pastor Podcast.